0: Two years ago, a German newspaper ran a piece hinting that Green Party Bundestag member Anton Hofreiter was calling for a ban on new single-family homes. Naturally, this was clickbait. Hofreiter hadn't been calling for a ban on single family homes at all. What Hofreiter was actually calling for was an end to subsidies that cater to detached single family homes, as well as the lower energy efficiency standards they're required to meet compared to attached homes. What Hofreiter actually stated was that Einfamilienhäuser, single family houses, consume a lot of space they require a higher proportion of building materials, they use a lot of energy, that they cause urban sprawl and induce even more traffic. And he stated that municipalities should use their spatial planning policies to ensure that the limited space in urban areas was really optimized for better land use so that affordable and more sustainable living space would be ensured. To say this caused a kerfuffle would be an understatement. Numerous conservative politicians put out statements claiming Hofreiter and Die Grüne were calling for a ban on single-family homes. And what is interesting to me is that this actually parallels some of the discourse in the U.S. around zoning changes, although there are some significant differences. It's not a secret that I believe single-family zoning should not exist anywhere in North America, but believing single-family zoning should not exist then begs the question, what should be allowed? What should the future of single-family homes look like? The ludwigsburg based Wustenroth Stiftung recently announced its winners for a design award focused specifically on this question. Two of the winners, in my opinion, offer a glimpse into how I believe we should be thinking about single-family homes and recompacting cities, and not only cities, but also rural areas and suburbs as well. In this week's episode, we'll be talking about the future of single-family homes. Welcome to the Livable Low-Carbon City Podcast, the show about the interconnectedness of low-carbon living, decarbonized buildings, and quality of life. I am your host, Michael Eliasson, architect and founder of Large Lab. The Wustenroth Stiftung is a pretty interesting organization. It was originally founded in Stuttgart in 1921 by Georg Krupp, who, along with a colleague, founded the Gemeinschaft der Freunde, the Society of Friends, which was an organization essentially founded with the ideal of building affordable housing and retirement homes on a charitable basis. The timing of the founding was not great. Inflation was incredibly high shortly afterwards. This organization, however, would eventually become the Wustenruts bauschbar the first building society in Germany. Hell yeah, sign me right up. The bauschbar still exists today. It has been in existence for almost a century. Today, the Stiftung, or Foundation, is part of the legacy of that casa. The Stiftung focuses on cultural heritage, monuments, cities and rural areas, questions about the future, and prioritizes science, research, art, and education. They also have a number of outstanding publications as well, many of them available for download for free on their website. Uh, of course... This is mostly all in German. The Design Awards jury was looking at issues around pioneering work, around sustainability and high-quality architecture, what a future-oriented, sustainable approach to housing could look like, specifically to single-family homes, about the adaptability of spaces, sustainable and natural material choices, energetic retrofits, and in my opinion, probably most important, both economic and social sustainability. And the winners answer these questions. How can single-family houses, both new and existing, be redesigned and adapted to the life cycle and changing requirements of the residents? How can you react appropriately to the challenges of our time with this design? Both of these questions get at, I think, uh, some really interesting questions or dialogues about the future of single-family homes in the U.S. as well, especially around issues of adaptability, and these are discussions that, frankly, do don't seem to be happening and they're not really facilitated by organizations like this on this side of the pond. The first project to highlight is an incredible little infill in the Ehrenfeld neighborhood of Cologne. Ehrenfeld is a wonderful built-up district, lively, great mix of uses, really good nightlife. It's kind of become one of the hipper and trendier neighborhoods in Cologne and it's largely composed of perimeter block development with smaller connected multifamily buildings and relatively lush courtyards. The site for this project is a former car garage Situated between two three story multifamily buildings. The parcel is a gargantuan 11 foot 6 inches wide. Other than the garage, it seemed that there was little space for anything else in this gap. In German, a Bauluke is a small gap in an urban setting between buildings. And this project by Wolfgang Zeh is a new single family house with workspaces, and in this instance, the architect is also the owner. This project features a number of flexible spaces over three floors and three mezzanines or galleries. The lot is itself a stamp just 380 square feet no that's not even missing a zero this small project packs so much into it but what might be the most interesting from an architectural standpoint is the near lack of doors mainly the entry and bathrooms and if you think about the future of urban houses in the city this is an incredible example it's not a detached house with four exposed walls bleeding energy into the atmosphere. It's an infill house, sharing two of its walls with adjoining buildings. This not only saves construction costs, but it reduces energy consumption, as this is an adiabatic condition, and there's effectively no heat lost or gained between connected buildings. This is a single-family home, but it's situated on a typical perimeter block, full of small and medium-sized buildings. The fine-grained nature that we claim to love and want in our cities. And this is exactly how we should be recompacting cities. It's the very urban condition we're on the same block, a single family home adjacent to social housing, adjacent to market rate housing, adjacent to stacked flats, adjacent to a cooperative, and even adjacent to a baugrupa, right? This is that good economic and social mix of residents and abundant housing cities should be striving for. But paradoxically, This is the very situation that our building codes and our land use codes effectively make illegal. The second awarded project was a bit of a surprise. It's also a project that I really, really adore. If you listened to the previous episode of the podcast, you might recall what I mentioned about zoning in Germany that there is no single-family zoning, even the lowest-use category allows for small apartment buildings and other uses. Unlike U.S. cities, this also isn't a category that consumes most of the land area of a German city. It is largely found in rural areas or the fringes of a dense metropolitan area. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't single-family neighborhoods, there most certainly are. It just means that there's more flexibility and there are more housing options within and around those neighborhoods. Now, close your eyes for a second while I describe this project's location. This project is in the Bavarian town of Munzing. Now, I shouldn't even call Munzing a town. Munzing is a Dorf, a village. It has a population of less than 4,500 residents. It's a settlement that dates back to about 1000 CE, just east of the Starnberger See about 30 minutes or so south of Munich. Its landscape was carved by glaciers. It is a landscape, lush, green, gently rolling hills with the Alps looming large in the background. It frankly, is not unfamiliar to parts of western Washington. Munzing is composed of a mostly compact settlement consisting of single-family homes and small-scale multifamily buildings. It is completely surrounded by farmland and forest. This form of compact settlement is incredibly common throughout Germany. When I lived in Germany as a kid in often, This is the kind of village that we lived in, but it is incredibly rare in the U.S. Think about what the typical rural development in the U.S. looks like, especially on the West Coast. Large lots, detached houses spread far apart, few multifamily buildings, perhaps a commercial strip that has since become a highway or major arterial, big box stores alongside of it. Munsing is the opposite of that. It is compact and small, and likely relatively accessible for walking and biking. It's roughly three quarters of a mile from one corner of the village to the other. And though it's small, most of the day-to-day needs are within a walking distance of this project. Bank, post office, cafes, local pub, bakery, grocery store. Now this project by architectin is called Alla Unter Einem Dach, All Under One Roof. Now this should give away what I love about this project. All. Not one. All. Did you figure it out? Nope. This isn't a detached house. It's not even one home. This is a baugruppe, a collectively planned and self-developed project consisting of two slightly askew bars with 24 homes between them situated at the outer extents of the village. It consists of a variety of housing forms. There are row houses, there are apartments, there are homes from one to four bedrooms. This is a family-friendly development nestled at the boundary between village and farmland. It is also multi-generational housing. The community 55 residents, including 18 kids, all the way up to residents in their 70s. The aim for the municipality was that 60% of the residents would actually be from Munsing. I believe that this project actually exceeded that. And it's also interesting to note that the initial concept for this project was detached houses. In essence, you have 24 homes, That take up the space of five or six this approach not only seems more rewarding from a social sustainability standpoint but environmentally and economically as well from a design standpoint its form and materials reflect the legacy of building in rural bayern a simple compact form with gable roof for each building sort of like an elongated monopoly house and this ensures both cost savings as well as better energy efficiency the walls floors and roof are all made of mass timber The facade, a personal favorite, is large. And the project incorporates stunning three pane wood windows that connect residents with each other, with their shared garden and orchard, as well as the extended landscape beyond. And yes, this project is rural. A car is necessary for many errands. But it is situated in the village in a manner where you can do most of your day to day stuff without needing a car. And there is a level of sustainability, of density, and of community here that frankly seems rare in our own cities, let alone our own rural settlements. This settlement also reminds me of a really incredible project situated a little bit outside of Almere in the Netherlands, a 9-unit Baugruppe by Bureau SLA with Zakenmaker. It's a 100-meter-long, low-slung, single-story building that hovers slightly above the landscape. The project was originally founded by an artist who had a very limited budget. And his architects basically directed him to team up with others to to build a multifamily project together, to leverage their costs to make a better, more cost-effective building. What's interesting about this project is the interior of each home was designed by the residents of that home, and the architects worked with them to align windows and doors on the facade as needed, while maintaining a relatively cohesive design for the overall building. So from the outside, the exterior looks relatively kind of clean, crisp, normal, but the floor plans, they differ quite dramatically. There is a wonderful frivolity to this setup. The arrangement on this site also left most of it open for green space, as well as a shared garden, something that surely would have been much more difficult with nine detached houses and the corresponding driveways. And this project is sort of a masterclass in low carbon living. A foundation with a minimum amount of concrete, a structure that is a hybrid of wood beams, cellulose insulated prefabricated wood cassettes, and steel columns. These are family-sized homes with working spaces integrated as well. And all of it opening to the forest and meadow behind the site. This is a really incredible project. It's incredibly cost-effective. And there's a reason that it has racked up several awards, uh, including Frame Magazine's Co-Living Project of the Year in 2019. But we don't build this way in the United States. We don't come together as a community to build collective housing, really at any scale, There's not a lot of support from government. Financial institutions aren't really set up to incentivize this and facilitate it either. But to me, it offers a much more rewarding way of living, of dwelling with other people in urban environments and even rural areas. Some other themes of potential futures for the single-family home revealed in the Design Awards. Simplicity and doing with less. Along with recompacting urban areas and prioritizing sustainable mobility, resource sufficiency is a topic the IPCC's Working Group 3 report highlighted as being necessary to meet our climate goals. Smaller homes, shared resources, co-housing. These are all themes I think we'll start to see resonating more and more in houses even here in the U.S. Another theme Moving beyond row houses, we don't see a lot of stacked Maisonettes in Seattle. These are two-floor units Maisonettes that could either interlock or be stacked on top of each other. These two-unit structures can then be laid next to each other, sort of like row houses, but with double the density and significantly fewer stairs. There have been a number of really incredible projects incorporating an arrangement like this in the Netherlands and Germany over the last few decades. This feels like it would be an arrangement that would be infinitely better than the four-story townhouses plus roof deck that have been popping up all over cities like Seattle. The idea of just going up and down and up and down constantly, especially with kids or aging in place, frankly, it is a bit frightening. Another theme, Aufstockungen, Vertical or Rooftop additions a topic previously discussed here on the podcast, could offer some interesting avenues as well. Again, it's an issue where our building codes largely prevent even thinking about something like this compared to most other countries around the world. Yes, this is an issue intimately connected to point access blocks, single stairs, and whether or not those are allowed. One of the things that really stood out to me is how much these small projects are really an opportunity for innovation and experimentation that frankly you don't see in architecture at this scale in the United States. And there's a long history of experimentation in architecture in Germany and in Switzerland. This is the area where mass timber comes from, low energy buildings made of clay block, insulating concrete, houses made of prefabricated exterior structural wall panels made with straw and wood. All right, there's, a, there's a long history of not just pushing kind of these boundaries, but also utilizing them to find new ways of thinking about housing and doing innovative forms of housing. And these concepts are very much in line with the notion of Einfach bauen, building simply. And this is a program that was recently completed between the Freisinger architect Florian Nagler and the Technical University of Munich. This project was the design, construction, and monitoring of three separate homes incorporating three separate materials and only three materials for the structure above the foundation. One in mass timber, one in concrete, and one in insulating brick. This topic of simply building is one that has haunted me for decades, no doubt directly correlated to the low energy work incorporating mass timber that I was working on many years ago in Freiburg. And it's a topic that is working its way through the discourse in Germany right now as well, looking at einfach bauen, building simply as a means of facilitating and expediting work in areas where there is a shortage of housing. And so this is an issue that we'll have to come back to at one point here in the future. One theme that was notably absent from these projects that I think we'll start to see with the combination of rising housing prices and solutions for the social isolation crisis uh, was more innovative forms of cohabitation and co-living. So yes, we're talking co-housing, Baugruppen, clusterwohnungen, and other similar shared living arrangements. One of the projects we worked on last year at Larch Lab was for a sort of cluster vonung set completely within the form of a three-story single-family house with seven suites for 12 residents, 12 residents being the max number of people that could occupy a single-family zoned lot without being related to each other. The idea is that each floor has both common spaces and locked-off private suites, each with a bedroom or two, a private bathroom, and a sort of small sitting area with a te a tea kitchen, not a full kitchen, just a space for a sink and some cabinets to store things for either early morning or a late night snack. And the breakdown of this was pretty straightforward. The ground floor will be a generous living area or salon, a massive kitchen and dining area, along with entry, large coat closet, and mechanical room. The suite on the ground floor would be accessible, and then each of the upper floors would feature three suites and various common areas. Two of the suites, one on each floor, would have two bedrooms, one of which was intended for a couple with a child, the other for a single mother. The balance of the suites for singles and couples interspersed amongst these suites, the common areas, a kid's play area, a library, a reading nook, adult lounge, and spaces for even working from home. A large terrace, a shared garden, and a bike barn rounded out the project's outdoor amenities. I really liked where this one is headed, combining so many of the things that I have long advocated for. Multi-generational living, innovative household formation, and the project would naturally aim for passive house. It's basically the bare minimum that we should be doing in a climate crisis anyway. The clients were interested in mass timber, and it could be a good test case. All three floors are relatively consistent in terms of stacking, but at 4,500 square feet, the economics, in the present construction economy would be extremely difficult. The clients were also interested in pushing the city a bit, especially as they see this as a sort of new model for collective and affordable living in the city. Instead of seven separate kitchens and seven separate units, one massive communal kitchen that would allow for large group dining and sharing in the household chores. We'll see if this is something that the city is actually interested in facilitating, but more than likely there may be an opening with all of the legislative work around housing that is currently underway at the state level. So, what is the future of the single-family home? Will the elimination of single-family zoning, a discussion underway in so many U.S. states right now, cause the single-family home to just disappear? This is incredibly unlikely. If you count townhouses and row houses as single-family homes, which, if we're being honest with ourselves, they are, we actually have more single-family homes today in Seattle than any other point in our history. But today, the median price of a new detached single-family home in Seattle exceeds a million dollars. The only other options for housing in this city are poorly planned, auto-centric, and inaccessible townhomes, or increasingly small, bowling-alley-shaped studios and one-bedrooms in large apartment complexes. But there's this whole ecosystem of possibilities, of potentialities, in between those two extremes. And unless we find new definitions of what a single-family home is, and more importantly legalize and incentivize them, it's going to be something that becomes less and less attainable for working and middle-class residents. We'll be pushed farther and farther out of the city. Our communities will continue to be pulled apart. Our carbon footprints will explode. There is this ideal of what a single family home should be, one that was relatively easy and affordable to attain, but increasingly out of reach for younger generations. This narrowness in definition has resulted in few options for not only new residents, but also existing residents who wish to remain in their neighborhoods and their communities as they age out of their own homes. The single family home can take many forms. It can be isolated, detached, sprawling, carbon intensive, but there is an alternative to detached single-family houses. It is the alternative that Green Party member Anton Hofreiter was getting at. The single-family home can be attached. It could be a row house, a semi-detached house, a multiplex, even a flat or maisonette in a larger Baugruppe. This is an alternative that can be more communal, multi-generational, accessible or adaptable. More importantly, it is an alternative based on resource efficiency, better energy efficiency, and more affordability than the status quo allows. This is one of the reasons I have been such a vocal advocate for Baugruppen and other forms of community-oriented non-market housing for so many years. I have zero desire to live in a detached house, far from friends or family, in a neighborhood where even walking to do daily chores is either impossible or hostile. In, in a world with abundant housing, we would have those alternative options available. Eliminating single-family zoning, it won't eliminate single-family homes. Far from it, it will actually allow them to bloom. That's all I've got for this week. I will post links to these projects as well as the Wustenroth Stiftung's publication on the winners. Till next time, ciao. Thanks to our listeners for joining us on the Livable Low Carbon City podcast. We'll be back with another episode soon to broaden the discourse and highlight how we can co-create a low-carbon urban future together. If you'd like to know more about what Larch Lab is doing, please subscribe to our monthly newsletter. I'll add the link to the episode notes.